If you looked at our SaaS business, we'll, we'll complete the year about 15 million of ARR uh, in terms of recurring. It's about a three-year-old business. Uh, and then if you look at our media business, uh, it will be on the same sort of trajectory at the end of the year. You are listening to Conversations with Nathan Latka, where I sit down and interview the top SaaS founders, like Eric Wan from Zoom. If you'd like to subscribe, go to gitlatka.com. We've published thousands of these interviews, and if you want to sort through them quickly by revenue or churn, CAC, valuation, or other metrics, the easiest way to do that is to go to gitlatka.com and use our filtering tool. It's like a big Excel sheet for all of these podcast interviews. Check it out right now at gitlatka.com. Hey folks, my guest today is Craig Fuller with FreightWaves. Uh, he's the CEO and founder, the leading provider of data analytics for the global logistics injury, uh, industry. The company provides the fastest view of transportation and logistics market activity across all modes. The company is also the number one source for media and market analytics in the, in the global freight industry. Craig, you ready to take us to the top? Yeah, happy, happy, glad to be here. So, so you have to, sometimes I put out crazy predictions in my email newsletter, which go out to about 60,000 people. And I always get interesting feedback back. I think that maybe that's the genesis. You got some inbound from that. What, what were people saying? Well, I think the note was that uh, Freightways was likely to be acquired by some of the companies that are also in SaaS. And uh, because we have a set of journalists and we get a lot of market intelligence, uh, our it was interesting because our SaaS business is actually bigger than some of the companies that you mentioned that would acquire us. So uh, I just thought it was interesting. It's always good to get uh, news and, and people talking about the company. So I don't hate that or begrudge it. Uh, but it's always interesting to sort of see how people put things together. We were talking, you know, I had interviewed the, the team at Flock Freight. I had Zvion from, uh, from uh, well, I had Freightos on, like a bunch of these companies. And I'm always looking like, I think a very smart move to arbitrage CAC in any SaaS business is to build a media brand. And you already had that. And I had no idea there was a SaaS brand behind that. And so you reached out and I said, or I reached out, I said, please, please come on. This is great. So let's dive into this. Um, what, so how would you describe today FreightWaves to the market? Because you don't lead with SaaS. No, I think Bloomberg is the is really Bloomberg of freight or, or the Bloomberg of, of the supply chain is really the best description for Freightways. If you think of uh, our business versus Bloomberg, Bloomberg is in many ways uh, what they do in the financial markets, we do in the physical economy. And so what I mean by that is we are focused on the intersection of how product uh, moves, physical product moves to the global economy. And Bluebird tends to focus on how money moves through the global economy. Mm -hmm. And so we have a media business uh, that has journalists. We have about 40 folks that are in our editorial media side bringing original content and context to what's happening around the global economy, but using our data, data to inform that. And then we have a subscription SaaS business, uh, which we sell to our industry that provides real-time uh, fundamental data to help them manage their business more effectively. So pricing data, forecasting. Go ahead. 40 journalists on media. How many full-time at the SaaS? Uh, so the whole company's about 200 employees. Uh, and you could sort of break up the company at about 50-50 between full, that it's fully dedicated to media and then it's fully dedicated to SaaS. And then the balance of it would be around uh, 70 employees to sort of do both. Yeah. Okay, so 70 are sort of shared. So people are going to ask, and this is what came first? Are you a software guy at heart or are you a media guy at heart? Well, I, I set out to build a software business 
uh, and realized that in order to build a software business uh, of a new sort of category, uh, you have to have someone to market the product. Um, and I tried to go find the existing media businesses that I could go essentially have write about the, the topic that we were doing. Uh, and out of frustration of not really getting any of these stories picked up that we were trying to pitch, uh, we, we started talking to some PR agencies uh, and we were getting ridiculous quotes. Uh, one quoted us, he, we got turned down by a number of publicists and PR agencies, which is like getting turned down by a lawyer. Like you didn't, that never <laughs> happens. Uh, but one, one agreed to take us on and he quoted us 40,000 a month. And that was like all of our seed capital. And so as I balked at him, he said, you should do this yourself. And he goes, you should get, hire an editor and write content yourself because what you're describing is difficult to, to talk about. And we did. And we realized really quickly uh, because the, the journalists had come from one of the other major trucking publications uh, and we were getting a lot of traffic. In fact, we our site was in many ways built beating his site that he had come from. And we realized really quickly that there was this gap of information in the market. And um, uh, we just doubled down on it and it started to really work. And, what's, and what it has enabled us to be is really the source of information of what's happening in our business. Uh, and we ended up, that enabled us to scale our SaaS business, which is all about data. So we provide real-time fundamental data for the market and our editorial team brings context to that data. Yeah. Now, if we just talk about customers to the SaaS tool today, what are you at? Uh, we have about 700 enterprise customers. So the average contract is about $25,000. Uh, we add consistently 20 to 30 new enterprise clients a month. About 80% of that is inbound. So we didn't start spending any, I think most SaaS companies sort of do the First thing they do is they go and do AdWords through Google to sort of get sort of drive activity. And then they hire a business development team. We did the opposite. We had the content team and then we hired a business development team. And then we ended up just three months ago adding sort of paid per click Google advertising. So we're relatively new in doing the other things to sort of drive sales on top of the funnel. Uh, almost all of our activity is sort of comes in through our media business. And even if it's not a direct response or they're not you know, coming directly off of, of an article we've written, what's nice about it is when our business development group reaches out to those companies, the company already has familiarity with the company. They just may not have realized we had a SaaS business or had not ever reached out to inquire about the, the data that we, we sell. So having that ubiquitous presence enables us to uh, really trim down our cycle in terms of closing deals. We're our average sales cycle is about 52 days from the first conversation to close. Uh, but I often say that everyone at some point is in our funnel because mm -hmm. if they're reading our, if they're in our industry, they're likely reading our content. Uh, and so they're always sort of in that funnel. Does the media business make money like sponsorships? Oh, yeah. Okay. How, what's the model there? How does it make money? So it's advertising. So it's a free advertising site. We don't gate it in terms of a paywall. Uh, we monetize it through advertising. And it's about a 60-some-odd margin business today. Yeah, so We have a term called negative CAC. So if you think of SaaS companies have CAC, which everyone sort of understands is customer acquisition cost. So to calculate that, you figure out what does it cost to acquire these customers. And we we have a metric. It's, we, we track that independent of our, our, uh, our, our media business. But then we have something called negative CAC. 
which is if you took the margins that you generated, if you treated us only as a SaaS business, and you looked at our media business as a as basically a, a marketing engine, then you can look at the advertising or the contribution margins in our ad business as offsetting your marketing costs. So um, we have something called negative CAC, which means uh, the more content we produce and the more revenue that we generate through advertising, uh, it offsets much, much of your uh, sort of marketing and customer acquisition costs. So effectively, if you think of where most SaaS companies end up spending capital, number one is sort of R&D. And then at some point in the cycle, they flip to marketing and customer acquisition. The nice thing is our customer acquisition is, is effectively zero or negative. So we have no capital tied up in, in direct customer acquisition. Uh, all of our capital is tied up in R&D and product. Trailing 12 months revenue across the whole business, what percent was media versus what percent was SaaS? So it's about 50-50. And then I know that sounds convenient uh, and I don't intend it to be. It's just that both businesses are growing in tandem. And uh, if you looked at our SaaS business, we'll, we'll complete the year about 15 million of ARR uh, in terms of recurrence, about a three-year-old business. Uh, and then if you look at our media business, uh, it will be on the same sort of trajectory at the end of the year. So, and back chat for me, let's just talk SaaS for a second. So if you're around 15 million AR by the end of this year, where were you exactly one year ago? Yeah, we were about uh, six and a half at the start of the year. So Wow. So that started at the start of 2021 or 2020? Uh, 2021, yeah. Wow. Okay. So you end, you end 2020 with a $6.5 million run rate. You think you more than doubled this year, which is great. Take us back one more year, 6.5. And then what was the year before that? Around 4 million the year before. Really interesting. Okay. For, and was it always a 50-50 split between media and SaaS? No. Media has been bigger than SaaS. And what we're finding as we scale that our media, that our SaaS business is accelerating faster uh, than our media business. And so media there's a you know, me, our media growth is slowing just because it was such it was so explosive in the start. It's it's easier to monetize media, frankly, than it is SaaS. I don't know that Absolutely. a lot of people realize that. Um, but the great thing about SaaS is it like once you get that engine going, it, it's it has its own set of momentum, which doesn't require you to put as much into it. So uh, that is, you know, if we sort of look at the business, we're starting to see sort of a mix shift in our revenues. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, half our revenues in 2019 was in physical events. It was zero last year. And oh, wow. So we, we lost half our revenue last year, but we still managed to triple the size of the company. How much revenue did you do in 2019 on events? 5.5 million. Wow, remarkable. Okay. And SaaS since that year was 4 million, so less than 50%. Well, and, and ARR. The ARR has a little Great. bit of lag just because it isn't, you know, AR is typically what you end with, right? Yep, yep. yep. Uh, and so whatever you're sort of closing contracts under sort of revenue recognition. So it, it isn't it isn't a perfect to say that it, it was yeah. the revenue. Just to be clear though, so when you say end of year 2020, you're at a $6.5 million run rate on the SaaS. That's taking December 2020 revenue times 12 equals 6.5 million. Taking contracts that are signed multiplied by the value of those contracts. Before got it. The media business though, look at the total revenue in 2020 did about what, 7 million? So the media business uh, in 2020, yeah, 7 million approximately. That's about right. Where did you make up? I mean, you lost $4 million in event revenue. How did you make all that up in advertising? Well, you just come end of the day, marketing budgets are fungible, right? So mm -hmm. you think about companies that are advertising are either advertising through 
events and they, they have an event budget uh, and they go out to events. Uh, but when that dried up, they still have marketing budgets. They still have a desire. I mean, one of the advantages is we're in probably the hottest market on the planet is supply chain. And Very hot. Information yeah. in supply chain. So our industry has done exceptionally well. Uh, so marketing budgets are not were not cut during COVID. In fact, an industry, our industry has been historically reliant upon relationships uh, to sort of drive new customer acquisition. And that's how the freight and supply chain industry sort of builds its customer engagement. A lot of that money was then redeployed uh, to assets like ourselves because we have this broad distribution and engagement. Mm-hmm. Total, you've raised capital. How much total have you raised to date? So total, if you take total capital raised, uh, we're at $92 million of total capital raised. Uh, that The equity raise is, is, is about 44. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, the way to think of that is that some of that has been uh, debt. We've taken some debt that was non-dilutive or pre- largely non-dilutive, I should say. Uh, and then some of it we haven't drawn down. So we have how, how much debt have you raised? 10 million of debt. Interesting. And and a lot of people don't understand debt can be dilutive because there can be warrants attached to those. Right. Standard, I would say, is like half a point to maybe up to two points. Did you do banks own more than or do your lenders own more than two percent of freight waves right now? Warrant wise? No, it was a well, this would have been a growth capital. It, it would have been in a private equity fund. It wasn't, it wasn't bank debt. I see. And it see. wasn't SVB. And you're probably referring to like an SVB line of yes. credit. That's not, that's not the debt we're referring to. It's high yield debt for that, but it's it's relatively non-dilutive. So if you think of debt is actually great as an instrument for growth if you're if you're very confident in the growth of your business. Yeah. Where debt is a problem is where you're taking it as a last resort because it's it has a lot of covenants and restrictions to it that can be very costly if you don't if you don't manage those. The other thing I want to touch on that other founders rarely touch on is, you know, I always say like, don't raise VC unless you absolutely need it. But the other, because it limits your optionality moving forward, but you can also just create more flexibility. If you just take secondary along the way, create liquidity for everybody. If I take 92 million in total funding minus 10 million in debt, right. And then subtract the 44 million in equity. That means there's about 38 million there unaccounted for. I assume most of that was secondary. Is that accurate? No, it's not secondary. It's, it's capital that we've raised that we haven't drawn down. So some of the ways that you can create flexibility in your cap structure is to actually draw money. So you raise it, it's allocated for you, the fund is set it aside, but you don't need all that capital for some period of time. So you can actually call on that capital at some future date. And so it's, it, it, it's relatively non-dilutive. And so it goes back to how do I shore up my balance sheet and how do I have capital available to me for acquisitions or capital available for growth or even in, as an insurance policy, but I don't actually have to draw that money down immediately. And so we've done a lot of those uh, types of structures that has given us optionality. So you're you're giving up some degree of, of dilution, but if you take equity dilution 100%, that dilution is immediate to you uh, versus taking it at some future date. Uh, if you've indexed your growth uh, at some future value and the, uh, the investor has agreed to it, it enables you to take a far less dilutive amount of capital. The thing that's often misunderstood about capital is people can put ridiculous. I, I, a company, zero, a pre-revenue company, got a billion-dollar valuation in our space, and what is not understood is that's great. That sounds great, but it, there's not a lot explained as to what that billion actually means. You can have massive preference 
you can have that capital set aside for future days. A lot of things that isn't often understood that's sort of beyond the headlines. Yep. So what valuation did you raise when you raised the 16 million from Triangle earlier this year? So our post on that was 286. Okay, post 286. And did you pull that full 16 immediately or no? We we did pull that full 16. It's on the balance sheet of the company. I see. So go back, like how do you decide to pull all of that? But maybe maybe at Kane you didn't pull the full 30 million last year? Yeah, I don't want to get into the, all the nuances of what we didn't pull and who who we didn't pull from, uh, just because I don't think that information is... Well, the, the, the reason I ask is, let me pull this down further. Let's just, I'm making an assumption here, guys. So caveat here, Craig's not confirming this, I'm assuming. Let's say Kane said, here's a 30 million tranche available in July, right, at a set valuation. And you don't pull the full 30 because you don't need the full 30, but you use that, you know, you've sure up your balance sheet, you use that leverage, you've de-risked the business to go raise from triangle to higher valuation. You pull full at triangle because it's a higher valuation, less dilution for you. Kane is left stuck with a 15 or $20 million commit, whatever you haven't pulled. Do you pay unused fees on that money? No, not necessarily. You still that money's still available for future for future use should you want to pull it down. But at a lower likely at a lower valuation than what you're at now. That's all up to how you've structured your deal. It doesn't, it doesn't necessarily have to be at a lower valuation. Oh, uh, okay. it, you, you, you can certainly raise that capital at a future date at some <clears throat> calculation based on how well you're performing. So just because you've raised it doesn't mean you've pulled it into your balance sheet. And it, it it also doesn't require you to call on that capital until you're ready. No different than if I raised a venture capital firm. When I raise the capital, I may raise $100 million VC firm. I'm not pulling that money down. I'm calling it money as I need it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's go back a couple of years because maybe you can share more since these are much older. When you did the $20 million Series B in 2019, what valuation was that at? Uh, the that would have been 92 million, I think. Oh, wow. Okay. So you almost tripled that. That's incredible. And what about series A, 13 million in 2018? Uh, 42, I think was the number post. Okay. And so, so tell me about acquisitions. Like you have what I think is the hardest thing to get in SaaS, which is you have a moat, which is attention with your media business. You're in a great spot to go buy companies. Are you in acquisition talks right now to buy any companies? We have, we've done four acquisitions so far. Uh, they've been small tuck-ins um, almost. And so, the challenge with acquisitions, if you're a high growth, so we're, we're a company that doesn't burn capital, we're basically cash neutral, uh, and we're still growing you know, 90% uh, on a year-over-year basis. It's very hard when you look at the rule of 40. If you look at the valuation metrics, we could go buy something for scale sake. The problem is the stuff that you, that you look at to acquire doesn't have as good of a rule of 40 profile. So they're either not... They're, 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 they rank lower on the rule of 40 matrix, which actually is a, is a direct correlation between how well you're positioned on that rule of 40 matrix to what your valuation is, either at exit or on a capital raise. And so if your rule of 40 is very high, which ours is, anything that, that is lower than that potentially if it's big enough, knocks down the valuation of the company. Yeah. And so let's say that we're trading at 15 times revenue. If we take something that knocks our rule of 40 down to a 60 and we're trading at 10 times revenue or 12 times revenue, then I've just given up a couple of turns of value of that, unless I bought that business at a very low valuation. So to make up for the sort of arbitrage that you give up on value. So buying something for the sake of scale for us, doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. Buying something that is accretive to our rule of 40 matrix would make sense if you could find it. 
Yep. Yeah. This is really interesting. Okay. Uh, a couple other things here before we wrap up, uh, cause I could go on forever. This is a great, great story. And I think it's the future of how SaaS businesses will be built around attention and media first, but Craig, for you specifically, you know, at your scale with how much you've raised and how you've been smart about, you know, allocation evaluation, how much equity do you still own in the business? Yeah, I, I'm not disclosing that. Uh, so, <laughs> can you, can you even, are you comfortable with a range, a big range? Um, it is high, more than zero. Uh, look, <laughs> when you're doing five, you think about sort of the rules are for every round you do, a founder is getting diluted 20%. Sort of compound that over five rounds or whatever it's been. You're in the mid-teens, and I think that's yep. a fair number for, for me. Cool. Okay, cool. So I was going to say, if he if he gives me a range of between zero and hundred, I'm going to kill him. Uh, but if if but I think mid-teens is 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 probably appropriate. You know, I don't have co I don't have co-founders. I founded the business myself. Um, but you could search mid-teens is the right answer for that. Out of curiosity, founding this yourself back in 2016, you raised that first two million in capital. Did you get dinged on your valuation because people were like, "You're a sole founder, Craig. If you hit by a bus, we're screwed." I had a PowerPoint presentation and that's all I had. So I didn't even have software. I didn't even have a co-founder. I didn't even have any employees. And so I raised $2 million as debt. Now that was the most, I'm happy to talk about that. Wait, how do you raise $2 million as debt pre, like on day one? That's crazy. I, I just, I, well, the problem was it was also equity. So it was participating preferred. It was the worst deal I've ever done. Um, it was 25% of the company for $2 million. And I had to pay it back. The investor has been paid back. So they, he has received his full $2 million. Uh, plus eight percent interest for the three years that we held it, and you get and, the equity you know, back, right? I'm sorry, you don't get the equity back when you pay it back. No, that Craig, what but, the but, fuck? Well, but Nathan, I think you have to remember that when you're a founder who who has an idea and not a lot of people are writing checks, and you could get a two million dollar check for not for a business that didn't exist at that moment in time, there wasn't even a software package behind it, then. I think that's a pretty good deal. I mean, if you think about the amount of wealth, and I think this is something that has to be said, is like, you could sit there. I never regret taking money at the time because the, the information I had at the time, these were the best deals I could get, right? Yeah. yeah. And so I, I took them because they were the best set of circumstances for me. But I, I, I went from making a, having a job that paid me $115,000 a year to raising $2 million and being basically independent at that point. And then over the course of the past five years, I've now built that to, you know, 40, 50, 60 million dollars in, in equity value. I think that's a pretty good idea, a pretty good deal. And I'm not done yet. So I can sit there, you know, the 2021 version of me can sit there and judge the 2016 version of me. <laughs> but there's no point in it. Like I'm a lot better off than 99% of every founder that's been out there. And the fact is that the person wrote the check believed in me when nobody else did. And they benefited from it. I, I took another round where the investor put $75,000 in the company and that's worth millions to them today. Yeah. So these things you do as a founder, but I don't, if you look at it on a percent base, I think a lot of people get caught up in the percentages. The percentages are less important than what you're actually creating in real value. And I think, I think we would all be better served if that's what we focused on and not just I own 85% of the business because ultimately that doesn't matter at the end of the day. And what does matter is what you're actually creating in value over time. Yep. Uh, 
SoftBank is famous for just lighting money on fire. A smart entrepreneur, an enterprising entrepreneur like yourself might take advantage of that. Flock Freight now has more capital behind them and SoftBank on their ballot, on their on their cap table. Uh, are you in any talks with Orin to sell the business to, to, uh, to uh, Flock Freight right now? No, I'm not in. No, it would be hard for a, a company like Flock Freight to buy us. And I'll tell you why is because we are a information provider and we sell data to competitors and flock freight and competitors of flock freight. So our business is, we are the, for lack of a better description, the Bloomberg of freight. So That's it would true. be like Bloomberg selling to Goldman Sachs. Like A, it would kill, Bloom, Goldman Sachs could never write the check that Michael Bloomberg would want. And the moment that Goldman Sachs bought Bloomberg, they, Bloomberg would lose 99.9% of its business. And so, for us, it is unlikely that we would sell to a business that's in our industry. We're more likely to sell to a S&P or a Bloomberg or a Reuters or Affinitive or somebody that's in market data businesses because, or take the company public because that's, that's really what we do. We are not, we're not in the business of selling to someone that's using our data to make decisions. So, Are you in talks right now to raise any more capital? We don't need it. Uh, we have $26 million currently on the balance sheet with another 20 that we haven't drawn down, as I described, uh, and um, we're cash neutral. And so there's really, you know, you businesses, like I said, is growing, you know, 90%. And we don't need to, because we have this media business that just throws off cash, I don't have a lot of customer acquisition costs. And so I don't, I can continue to scale my business indefinitely without having to consume capital. And I think, I think as founders, you know, that first deal I took that was highly dilutive, every deal since I've tried to mitigate the amount of dilution I take. And so taking capital for the sake of taking capital is sort of senseless because it moves, it makes it that much more difficult to achieve the goals you want. So yeah. you're on it, Craig. This is great. Uh, this is so far, are you, how are you enjoying yourself? I know this is a lot of numbers, but this is no, the I, we love. I love, like, I, I live and breathe the fi like finance. I'm, I, I certainly am not a, a finance person, but I live and breathe it because it's the, that is the oxygen that every, you have to understand finance if you're going to be a founder of a company at some point, because it is the oxygen that drives our businesses. Yeah. Let's wrap up with the famous five here. Quick, number one, favorite book. Um, Sun Tzu's Art of War. Number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying? Um, I am a huge fan of Michael Bloomberg. Number, I sense we're going to be reading in the press very soon. Bloomberg acquires freight waves for $500 million in cash and, and stock. I, I could neither hear nor say whether that was true or not. <laughs> I'm totally taking this clip. And if I see in three months, I'm saying it. You heard it here first. All right, Michael Bloomberg, number three. What's your favorite online tool for building the business? I'm sorry, what was the question? Favorite online tool for building the business? LinkedIn. I, I mean, LinkedIn is not great. Twitter is wonderful. So a little more creative. All right. A little more creative. <laughs> Number four. How many hours of sleep do you get, Craig? Uh, eight hours. And situation married, single kids? I'm married. I have five kids. Wow. Five kids. How old are you? I'm 42. Last question. Something you wish you knew when you were 20. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> That's a tough one. 
Guys, freight waves, building the future of transportation, logistics, tracking physical objects, think of it like Bloomberg for physical goods, doing it the right way. He is running a business where he has CAC Arbitrage, a profitable distribution network with his media business, makes up almost $15 million of revenue. His SaaS business does another $15 million in revenue. The market's loving it, raises Series C, $16 million bucks with a 286 pre-money valuation just recently. Team of 200 people split slot, 50-50 between the two businesses, growing 90% year over year. We're rooting for you, Craig. Thanks for taking us to the top. Thanks, David.